I speak to you in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. His name was Michael. He was a tall African-American man who often wore blue jeans with a red shirt. On the shirt was listed in bright yellow, those who will not be going to heaven. I made this list by virtue of being the member of a fraternity. He often set up shop on the drill field at Mississippi State. For those of you who are not familiar with Mississippi State's campus, the drill field is at the heart of the campus. It is where a large portion of the academic buildings are centered, so there is much activity going on on the drill field with students going to class and other activities during the day. In the middle of the drill field is where he would preach, often attracting crowds of curious and offended students. In one hand, he carried a very big Bible. With the other, he would gesticulate in an excited way as he warned those around him that they would pay the consequences for their sins. Students would stop and engage him, yelling at him, quoting Bible verses back to him, arguing with him to no avail. Some students were so offended that they would divert their usual route to class in order to avoid being within earshot of his preaching. And this was hard to do because he was very loud. There were students who had to be held back, so enraged and, so enraged and offended that they might assault him. Then there were those few students who took the path less traveled. They were the ones who sat with him, who heard him out, who discussed but did not argue, who disagreed but did not hate. They were the ones to quickly point out that they do not worship the same God as he. They worship a radically loving, compassionate, and forgiving God who desires to be in relationship with us, not apart from us because of our sins. They were quick to point out that it is because of our sins that we need God and that though we are sinners, God never stops calling us, never forsakes us, and never leaves us abandoned. Often in my mind, I facetiously compared Michael to John the Baptist. Both preached repentance and judgment. Both warned of the wrath to come. Both would receive funny looks if they walked into the Kroger. John in his fashionable camel hair, and Michael in his red shirt of condemnation. Both attracted crowds and offended them. I mean, how could they not? John called those in the crowd a brood of vipers, while Michael would single people out and tell them that their salvation was in question. Nobody wants to be called a snake, and for sure nobody wants to hear that their salvation is up for debate. Also, both come off as slightly crazy. John living off of wild honey and locusts in the wilderness, and Michael yelling at college students who merely are trying to get to class on time. One thing is for sure, though. When Michael appeared on campus, he would spark conversation. 
And whenever John the Baptist appears in our readings, he sparks conversation as well. Last week we heard John say, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. This week we hear him say, One who is more powerful than I is coming. With the help of John the Baptist, the Advent season sounds the theme of preparation. There is a story of a lazy grasshopper who spends the summer singing while a busy ant is hard at work making preparations for the winter. When the winter falls, the grasshopper is without food and is at the mercy of the ant who refuses to provide rations for the grasshopper, fearing that there will not be enough for the both of them to make it through the harsh winter. Each year, John the Baptist is like that ant, very busy and hard at work, telling us not to be like the grasshopper, telling us not to be idle, not to be caught off guard, but to prepare for what is coming, to prepare for who is coming. The ant in the story knew that winter was inevitable, just as we know that Christ's coming is inevitable. We say it often, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Therefore, as the wise say, we should always prepare for the inevitable. So, what then must we do? Scripture is living and breathing. When we read Scripture, we do not simply recount something that happened long ago. We read Scripture anew, as if the stories we hear, the characters we encounter, and what they are telling us are speaking to us gathered here today. So when the crowds ask John, what then must we do? It is as if we ourselves are asking John, what must we at the chapel of the cross do to prepare for who is to come? And within John's ethics lesson is our answer. Charity towards others and be thankful. Give to others and be thankful for what you have. In order to prepare for what is to come, in order to prepare for the coming of the Lord, give to others and be thankful for what you have. These two are related to each other. If you are satisfied with what you have, you will give to others who have much less. If you are not satisfied with what you have, you will live a life of emptiness, stubbornness, and you will be unable to give to those who have much less. If you want to be prepared like the ant in the story, John the Baptist tells us gathered faithful here all of us at the Chapel of the Cross to give and be thankful during this time. If we here are to prepare a highway for our God and make His path straight, we must give and be thankful. If we are to prepare for our Lord's coming at Christmas and prepare for His second coming in glory, we are to give and be thankful. Today is Gaudete Sunday. And I had to check with the Latin scholar here on the correct pronunciation of that word. Gaudete. Gaudete is Latin for rejoice. Gaudete Sunday comes from the first word of our epistle today. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Up until now, in this season of Advent, 
We have prepared for Christ by watching, waiting, expecting, and reflecting. And today John has told us in our gospel lesson that charity and thankfulness are also ways in which we can prepare. Now we have a new and different way to prepare for the one who is to come. Rejoice. God to taste Sunday has long been a way to mark a change in the Advent season. We rejoice in the fact that our Lord that we have been waiting for is very close at hand. And our epistle reflects this. Rejoice in the Lord always, for the Lord is near. So it is with great joy that we rejoice in the coming of our Lord, who is very near at hand. This is why we light the candle of joy on our Advent wreath, which is a different color than the rest. It marks a change to this season and a change in which we prepare for the birth of Christ. As I say this to you, as I mentioned that Christmas is upon us and the birth of Christ is upon us, it might cause some anxiety. It may cause you to go down your mental list, your mental checklist, to see what has not been accomplished yet during this very busy season. It may cause concern with you because the shopping has not quite been done, or perhaps it is getting awfully close to that time when out-of-town guests are arriving and pouncing upon you. But still for others, it may mean a time of sadness and depression. It may mean a time of regret or longing for the way things used to be. It may be a time of remembering loved ones who are no longer with us. So yes, this busy season stirs many emotions, sentiments, many opinions, and attitudes. Whatever this season brings to you, whatever it is that is on your mind, remember, rejoice, our Lord is close at hand. Be joyful in that. Theologian Henry Nouwen writes about joy in this way. Joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing, sickness, failure, emotional distress, oppression, war, or even death itself can take that love away. Joy can be present in both times of happiness and of sorrow. On this third Sunday of Advent, in all that we do, may we be charitable. May we give. May our hearts be thankful as we do so. And while we do all these things, may we rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, may we rejoice. For the Lord is near. Amen.